The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. For the ones who get it done, the most important part is the one you need now. And the best partner is the one who can deliver. That's why millions of maintenance and repair pros trust Granger. Because we have professional-grade supplies for every industry, even hard-to-find products. And we have same-day pickup and next-day delivery on most orders. But most importantly, we have an unwavering commitment to help keep you up and running. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Fighting Through Podcast, Episode 4. Coffee with Wilf Shaw. That's Al Allenby, that's the more frightening experience I've had during the war. How the hell I got through that, I just do not know. I got a bullet straight through the, straight through the front of the steel helmet. I was trying the, what do you call the, the first and second pressure on the finger. Right. Anyway, I'm pointing this at the latrines, you know, and all at once I must have pulled the trigger <laughs> too bloody hard. The shelling started, and flung myself on the ground, and the next thing I knew, my arm went round my head somewhere, and I'd been it. To this day, I can't, I can't believe I got, through, I got through that. Hello again, I'm Paul Cheel, son of Bill Cheel, whose Second World War memoirs have been published by Pen and Sword in fighting through from Dunkirk to Hamburg. The book's available from Pen and Sword Direct or from Amazon and all good bookshops, plus the usual e-books such as Kindle. The aim of this podcast is to give you the stories behind the story. You'll hear first-hand memoirs and memories of veterans connected to Dad's war in some way, and much more. This episode, I'm having a chat with Wilf Shaw, a World War II veteran who has a staggering number of stories to tell us. So you're going to hear an old soldier's vivid memories and musings, sometimes tragic, often hilarious, and there are some quite startling revelations too. Wilf is 96 years of age in 2016, and still trespassing, as he puts it himself. He's a resident of Oldham in Manchester, England. Wilf had a phenomenal war. He joined the British Army in 1940, just after Dunkirk, joining 6th Battalion the Green Howards as part of 50th Infantry Division. He fought pretty much throughout the whole war in many campaigns, including fighting for Monty's 8th Army in Alamein, Wadi Akras in Tunisia, Sicily and, of course, Normandy. He was wounded twice and still returned to battle. What makes Wilf's memories very special to me are the parallels with my own dad's war. They served in the same battalion and fought in most of the same battles. My own dad passed away several years ago, so speaking to Wilf today has got to be the next best thing to speaking to my own dad about his experiences. I hope you enjoy. How's your hearing? Is it all right? I suffer from tinnitus. The odd word, you have to excuse me if I ask you to repeat something, you know. Yeah, that's okay, that's okay, yeah. It's not definitely... Sometimes, like if I'm listening to television, it's a bit like sizzling bacon. Yeah, yeah. If you understand what I mean. Absolutely, yeah. Does that come from the war? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, part of my pension is uh, is for that. It's uh, that and PTSD, you know. So, uh. so you have, you've you've got PTSD as well from the from the war. Yeah, yeah. and they uh, I was classified as uh, uh, four counts, two uh, uh, shrapnel wounds, you know, and uh, PTSD and uh, the hearing difficulties. Do you know, 
I'm, the only consolation there is that you are still alive and you got through the war because reading through all the notes you've produced, you've had so many narrow scrapes in that war. Nobody appreciates that more than I do. No. no. I just can't believe it sometimes. <laughs> it's funny because reading Dad's memoirs, mm. I realise how many narrow scrapes he has as yeah. well. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking how, how much... Uh, truth is stranger than fiction. Mm. Some of the stories you've got and, and Dad's yeah. got between you. Uh, a chap told me his, his father was killed at Wadiakrit, Ken Oliver. His father was Sergeant Major Oliver and he was killed at Accurate. And uh, he always sent me a birthday card but just recently uh, he said, I've heard, Wolf, that you're the only uh, remaining Green Howard. Second World War. No. I find that's a bit hard to believe. Something I should say, actually, before I forget, if I touch on any areas that you'd prefer not to talk about... No, talk about whatever you like. Can we? Oh, OK, all right. When you started the Battle of Wadiakari, what you had to cross this flat plain, didn't you? No. Um, what, what, we had to go up uh, across this uh, part where the Royal Engineers had marked out a path with white tape. You had right. to keep within the tape right. because they swept it for mines, you know. Ah, okay. And we gradually and gradually, but in the end we had to go up onto this high. We were being overlooked by the tunnels. Pretty frightening, really, but not as bad as when I was a child. Mind, I was a signaller then, but uh, a child of that's the most frightening experience I've had during the war. I'm talking about the main one the main on the, on the yes. 23rd of October. Right. How the hell I got through that, I just do not know. I went, there was about the section advancing to this... Uh, they must have been 50 or 70 yards away initially, right. but we were behind a bit of a ridge here, and then we got the order to advance, and I was extreme right. Oddly enough, the chap next to me was another chap from Oldham yeah. called uh, Bill Diddle, and uh, these uh, breeders opened up on us, the Italian breeder gun. And uh, oh, a bloody chaos, and we all hit the deck. Diggle next to me, being hit across, across here in his mouth. And uh, I flung myself on the ground and put the rim of my steel helmet in the ground like that. Sure, I got a bullet straight through the straight through the front of the steel helmet, and it it, it knocked the metal back and dropped on the camouflage. And me, like a fool, I threw I threw the bullet away in a bit of a mad temper, you know. Yeah. I put put me hand in. You should have kept it as a souvenir, eh? I didn't manage to keep the steel helmet. Did you? Have you still got it now? No, but uh, but I had my steel helmet on the tide on the back of my pack, and the, uh, we were on a truck lumbering up to Benghazi, and there were the uh, bouncing about. Yeah. And it, it came loose and fell off the truck, and the last I saw it was uh, bouncing along the road, you know. So I didn't manage to keep it. But I remember arriving in hospital with it, uh, uh, 106 South African. Right. Uh, and I put the seal helmet on, you know, the little cabinets they give you at the side of the bed. Right. I put it at the bottom. And this doctor came right, he said, You were worrying that when that happened. I said, Ah, oh, I was. And it saved your life. At this point, you're in hospital. What? what you, you'd got hit by something then. Sorry. You'd got hit by something because you were in you were in hospital. It was the following day after after the episode with the doings. With the helmets, right? I was moved to another sec, uh, another uh, platoon. Yeah. And uh, there was I had to go into action again, uh, do the same thing because I'd done the night before. Yeah. And uh, we were move, moving along, and and uh, this shelling started. I flung myself on the ground, and the next thing I knew, my arm went round my head somewhere, 
and had been it in my armpit here and came out the front here. Yeah. So, Have you still got the scars from it? Yeah. yeah. And because you, you got wounded in the foot in another yeah, battle. Yeah, you? Well, well, the one in my foot, it went straight through my boot. Right. Straight through my boot and my, uh, the part that sticks down, that's called oscalsis. Yeah. Your heel bone, you know, in other words. And such was the force, it went straight through and out the other side. Yeah. I got up and started walking and somebody come to me and said, don't try and be a bloody hero or words to that effect like. Right. I said, I'm not... A, I said, I'm just making sure my bloody foot's still there, like, yeah, you know. Yeah. Took the boot off and it, 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 the piece was about as big as thumbnail, you know. Right. Gone straight through. You didn't keep that bit either? No. But you've still got scars from that, presumably. Ah, it's a, strangely enough, it's, it's not all that big a scar, you know. You know, it's it's kind of surreal that you're sitting here with yeah. wounds or scars from the Second World War after all these years. I mean, of course you would still have scars. I know when I was a kid, I remember seeing Dad's wounds, his scars, because he got um, some shrapnel in the groin that had been half an inch higher. It would have fit him in the, his wedding tackle, and I, I would never have been born. But as it happened, it went straight through... Uh, into his groin and when they operated they had to go in through his backside so he ended up to get to the piece of shrapnel and uh, he ended up with two scars one where it went in and the other one where it came back out but uh, yeah I can always remember seeing that when I was a young lad to this day I can't I can't believe I got through, I got through that what, what, what do you think ultimately led to the PTSD? Was it any one incident or was it just a whole range of things that happened throughout the war that gradually built up? Certain incidents crop up. Not, not, not all that often really, but occasionally uh, I, I don't sleep all that well at times. Right. But uh, I'm waking up from a dream that's about that, you know. It was funny really... Uh, you didn't feel a part of it somehow. Right. It was like it was like you were an observer, you know. What was going on there and there. You, you sort of couldn't believe that you were taking part yourself, you know. Yeah. You, so like, you look that way and that way, see blokes walking forward in this side and this side. Did you um, I mean it must have been scary but did when you were in the thick of the action did you feel afraid or was that like before and after that that feeling came across you yeah, I must admit I felt pretty afraid at uh, hell other men you know yeah. but there was there was another occasion uh, when I got it hell other men I remember the uh, this other section or platoon I joined, who were putting an attack in, they were all, they were arguing with the uh, sergeant or the he was telling them the job had to be done, right. and they were they were more or less complaining, you know, that it was somebody else's turn, you know, and uh, not out of bravado or anything. I, I was just a bit big sick of hearing people complain, you know. So, yeah. Come on, let's get the bloody job done, you know. So. I remember I went forward, and that's that's when I got it. But I couldn't I couldn't stand the idea of people complaining and the, the sergeant more or less begging them that the job had to be done, you know, and they were reluctant. Yeah, I think uh, I never cease to be amazed actually at when you read stuff at how brave all these troops were. Uh, you know, without exception, just the fact that they were prepared to walk forward across a plane or wherever it was, knowing that they might get killed. Uh, and uh, I was just reading a paragraph from uh, Sicily, because Dad was at, well, you were at the River Samita, weren't you? The Primasol Bridge. Uh, yeah, yeah, that was the river, it crossed the River Samito. Yeah, yeah. And the Durham's lost a hell of a lot of lads there. Uh, it might have been, it was six, eight and ninth Durham's were part of, made up the, uh, yeah, I think it might have been the sixth who lost a hell of a lot of lads. It, uh, right. 
prematurely bridged. Because there were a lot of uh, paratroopers got killed no. down at the bridge, no. weren't there? But I know a lot, a lot of the paratroopers uh, dropped, were dropped in the sea then. Yes. You want to see these, don't you? <laughs> oh, yes, absolutely. Whoa. This is your gold ring. Tell me, yeah. tell me the story about this gold ring. <laughs> you know, it looks remarkably similar to one I've got that was Dad's. Yeah. Same sort of design. But it's got a little uh, break in it, hasn't it? Yeah. Underneath. Aye, we were doing the job. We were digging in... Uh... Was this Limassol? Yeah. Yeah, it was Limassol, yeah. And uh, we were digging day after day after day. And uh, like I say, I got I got back up after doing the job one day, and it's only I thought the ring wasn't there on my finger. Yeah. But I, I thought I was really upset about it. You know, it what my mother my mother sent me for me twenty first birthday. Oh dear. I couldn't believe, it, and it must have been a couple of days later. I went down on the same job. You know. I couldn't believe it when I shook my shoe and I saw something glint in the sun. Picked it up there. Yeah, it was it was. Had it fallen off your finger because it was worn? It, it, had, wa it had worn through and, and dropped off, you know. It's got your initials on it, hasn't it? Yeah, it has. WS. Yeah. Uh, as you can see, it, the, fact that that, the fact that that was very thin, during the war, uh, they, wouldn't, they, they wouldn't make things... Uh, it was something to do with the austerity during the war. Yeah, yeah. That they were made so thin, you yes, know. Yes, yeah. yeah. D2 on D-Day? I didn't, I didn't land on D-Day. No. It, it was either the day after or the day after. Yeah. We were kept kept back, you know. Yeah. But when I did land, I joined Freddie, Freddie Zilkin. And uh, I was put in the uh, anti-tank platoon of uh, support company. Right. So I was no longer a rifleman uh, at El Alamein, I was a rifleman, you know. Right. So, yeah. How did Normandy progress for you? Was there much fighting in your sphere? I, I had various, uh, one or two air-raising experiences. Right. That means uh, you probably got shot to death I think a, a I think the worst, the worst experience I had was at a place called... Fal I don't know whether you've read about the Filet Gap. Well, what happened, the uh, American forces were pushing the Germans back. Yes. We were pushing them this way, and the, and the Germans were, were compressed. Right. It was when the Germans were trying to escape, when they decided to retreat from the assault by the Americans from over here. Right. And 21st Army Group here were from this side, and they were... They were more or less caught in a pocket, and they only had a, a very narrow area to escape from, and they were compressed. Yeah. And the the American bombers came over, and they were dropping bombs on onto more or less a con congested area, and consequently the cas the casualty was horrendous among the Germans, you know. But the experience I had, uh, I, I was posted to it with a platoon as a signaller to a platoon. Right. And uh, the situation was so confusing. I remember looking through a hedgerow and there was a bloody tank with a, the, the black cross on, you oh know. Oh yeah. More, they were milling about all over the place. They were coming, coming towards me, and uh, I can't remember now whether they fired at me or not. But anyhow, I made myself scarce, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it must have pushed off the tank, you know. But the thing is, when I looked round, I'd been left behind, <laughs> and uh, I remember there was a. There was an anti-tank, one of our anti-tank guns there in the lane at the side, side of the thing. Right. And a, and a dead German officer lay on the ground at side of me. Anyhow, while I'm stood there and I have my 18 set, you know, 
this jeep drives up with our officer, uh, Captain Carmichael, who was in charge of escort. He'd come up with this jeep to rescue the uh, six-pounder gun, and he asked me to give him a lift with it to get it, hitch it onto the thing, you know. Right. So in the meantime, I'd left my 18 set up over the other side of the hedgerow, yeah. and uh, I helped him to get this six-pounder. <laughs> and, uh, I, know, I think I know he, what you're going to say, but go he, on, ju he jumps in behind you. I, I said, "Hang on, will I get me 18 set?" You know. Right. Gets back over this edge. Got me 18 set. Come oh, back. It, it was still gone. there then. All oh, oh, right. He he. I come back. He'd gone. Ah. I thought you were going to say the Germans had nicked your 18 set. No, no. <laughs> but he didn't stop to give you a lift. He, he buggered off. He yeah, buggered off and left me. Yeah. Miserable ah. devil. Ah. Oh, so I. Uh, I remember uh, I put the 18 set on my back and walked to the main road and managed to have, uh, hitch a lift from Americans yeah. who were going past and they gave me a lift and I saw this thing, 50 div, you know, side of the road, yeah. Yeah. gets off and uh, found my own way back. So. Oh, I could have had God. words with Carmichael but it's about that. You know. But your your uh, Normandy experience carried up on right through Normandy, didn't it? Yeah. Dad got wounded towards the end of June, and that was the end of his war until he recuperated and he, uh, he came I, back. I went through uh, I went through Normandy and the rest of the not up through Belgium and Holland, yeah. but uh, never got wounded again. I wounded twice in the yeah. desert. Yeah. But, uh, well, you'd, you'd learn to keep your head down by uh, then. Very like that. <laughs> Well, I remember one bloke saying to me, uh, talking to you like I'm talking to you now, and he said, did you ever, uh, did you ever experience an 88 millimetre? Right. He said about the, there was tremendous velocity. Yeah. I said, yes, I'm, I heard an 88 millimetre shell twice, I said, once when it passed me and again when I passed it. By the other hell of a velocity, yeah. yeah. Yeah, Dad mentioned those lots of times. Um, I think he said when they were in Sicily and the, the fighting had finished, he was walking up a hillside or something. Maybe it was Wadiakaris, I can't remember, but he passed really close to an 88mm gun and he said it was the first time he'd seen one that close up. Uh. He'd been on the receiving end so many times before, uh. so it was good to see it. They were anti-aircraft guns, you know. Yes. Yeah. And uh, they decided to convert them <coughs> into anti-tank guns. Ah, okay. One of the most uh, awful sights I can remember was it was at Wadi Akri when we were advancing up through the hills, and there's a Sherman tank. We had to go uh, through a part that was uh, under. You know, it was pretty well exposed and it was under fire from the 18 million, right? But as I was saying, uh, there was a Sherman tank and the top was missing, the, uh, like the turret. Yeah. And I couldn't believe what I was seeing. I, mean, I could see two legs, the bottom part of the boat. Yeah. And the rest of him was all hung down the side of the down the side of the tank. Oh gosh, how horrible! Yeah, pretty grim, you know. Yeah. That was about the time, you know. I, I said I picked a boot up, and and the, and the foot was still in it. Huh? Yeah, that must have been gruesome. Yeah. Gosh. Yeah, I couldn't believe it. it was brand new, but it looked like a brand new boot, you know. I thought that's yeah. funny, like. I should have known from the weight, you yeah. know. It's funny, it's, uh, you're making me chuckle at the mention of that, and it's not really funny at all, is no, it? It's quite it's, yeah. sad and gruesome. It is, it is when you perhaps think, think back about it's it. It's only with the passage of time that you <coughs> sort of smile about it. Mm. Gosh. Yeah. I, did, I did try and write a book, you know, but uh, in the end I gave up. I thought, no, I'm, I'm no good at bloody writing. It's still there in a the folder, and I typed it all out. Right. But I called it Bright Burns the Memory. 
Uh, it's, it's still, still there, sort of part finished, you know. And is that so? Uh, when when I've when I've gone, the lad, my lad will uh, read it. You know, I tried to date it right back from the time I was called up and right. on the train going to Plymouth. When initially, you know, doing the uh, uh, exercises, the various exercises when we went out on, on a pretend kind of war, you know, yeah, yeah. officers running about with uh, the overseeing things, you know, and come, somebody would come to you and tap you on the shoulder and say, you're dead, right. you're dead, you're dead, you're dead, you know, this is the kind of silly little thing that went on, you know, before the war, when taking part in these kings, you know. You went on a training exercise at one point to uh, lock Fine. Lock fire, no. Uh, I didn't. Because Dad went on that. Did he? So you must have experienced similar things. Oh, that's right. Things. Yeah. You were practicing landing uh, from London. London crash on, on the shore. And did you have to cross uh, rope bridges? Inverary, I think. Inverary, that's right. Yeah. I remember Dad saying in his memoir that it was freezing cold all Aye. the time you were there. Oh, that, the one that I, I think the one you might be talking about was. Uh, that the scheme on uh, Exmoor, and th th there were some people killed on that. Right. I think they were run over by a tank, uh, oh, okay. or a vehicle, or something like that. They were run yeah. over, you know. But trying to sleep, I, I remember there was Maurice Hancock, Henry Jeffries, and myself, three of us, and we had one blanket between us. Right. This was on Exmoor. Uh, yeah, yeah. So we, we took it in turns to get the warm spot, which, which, which was in the middle. In, in the middle, uh, right, yeah. yeah. So the two on the outside were freezing bloody cold, you know. And what, did it snow? Was it snowing? It was just freezing bloody cold, right, yeah. yeah. I can't remember whether there was any snow or not. It was one hell, one hell of an arduous scheme. Exmoor. Just going back to. Um, was your dad on that? He was, yes. Exmoor. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm sure he mentioned those lads getting killed. He, he, I think he suggested they were run over by a tank. Um, going back to Inverary and Loch Fine, because that was a training course as, as a prelude to D-Day, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, yeah. And Dad said coming after it, uh, he didn't say much about what happened on it, although I think he talked about crossing the river using a rope uh, uh, and lads falling in the water and being caught downstream by divers so they didn't drown. But um, the one that point that stuck in my mind was he said the journey back down south from there they were on the yeah, train yeah train accident the train crash well uh, dad was on that train now, I, were, were you on it can you remember I don't think I was I think for some reason <coughs> we were I was <coughs> on a vehicle there was some went down on the train yeah. but I think I was I was on a vehicle <coughs> moving down to the same place you know uh, okay. <coughs> but I remember the accident you do, yeah. Yeah, that was horrendous. I think the, uh, the lorry had come over the parapet of a bridge and landed on the train uh, halfway along it. But Dad, luckily, Dad was in a carriage that wasn't affected. But he said there were soldiers, de dead soldiers left, right, and centre. Uh. You come from Oldham, and there's one thing you, you read in your, in, you said in your memoir that. Most of the lads in the battalion were from the northeast, but not entirely. There were lads from South Yorkshire, Scots yeah. lads, Cockneys, Welsh, Irish, and at various times I shared a dugout with a Welshman, a Scotsman, a Jew, and a lad from Gateshead. Ah, <laughs> so that's, you, right. that's right, yeah. You covered the full uh, gamut of nationalities. I can remember his name, Gus Parks, he was called. Uh, that was the, that was the, um, the Geordie. Yeah. The lad from Gateshead, right. Because Dad said in his memoir that he met a lot of Scots and Welsh and Irish and he said yeah, it was yeah. uh, an education to be fighting alongside such lads. One of my best mates, uh, he, he was eventually killed on, I think it was D-16, right. Peter McKenna. And I shared a dugout with him 
up, up at Gazala. I shared a dugout with uh, Peter. Right. And I, I've written somewhere that, that we, we shared more than a dugout. We, uh, we shared uh, each other's letters, uh, right. shared each other's uh, uh, concerns in life, you know. Yeah, yeah. But uh, he was eventually killed. Good soldier, good soldier, Peter, conscientious. Dad said once that pals came and went a lot in the war. Um, you make pals, and then the next day they'd be killed. And it's funny, but you you you'd be in a section of uh, seven, eight people, and you you know, well, and one day I look round, where so and so? Oh, he, he reported sick, and uh, we've not seen him since. <laughs> And he, he, he probably reported sick, whipped off to hospital, and uh, and that was it. Nobody knew what happened to him. Or, you know, happened uh, on a lot of occasions. He didn't get sent back to your own unit. Okay. If if another unit was uh, below strength, the army being what it is, and they've no bloody sentiment or anything like that. Yeah. They didn't send him back to his own mates and his own union, they sent him somewhere else. I don't know, but that's, that's what happened on the case, you know. People just disappeared. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games. It's funny, there's a few um, comrades of Dad's that I've got photographs of, and I, I can't trace them anywhere. And uh, he lost several at Sicily. Um, and a couple of which there's just no trace of them in any of the records no. uh, and it's weird I, I did read sometimes that they weren't recorded as having been killed unless they found a body but uh, that doesn't always seem to hold true because I'm sure I've read other occasions where soldiers have been killed missing in action and yet they've, they've been recorded so I'm not too sure what to make of it you know the, the identity dish you, you wore around your neck yeah yeah, yeah. There, there were two, you know, two discs. I think one was like a maroon colour and the other was like a greeny colour. Yeah. But the idea was one one was either left with the body and the other one cut off. Uh, with it, All it had were your details, were your name, your number, and I seem to remember your religion. Right. I was going to ask you what the... Um what the happiest or the funniest moment you can recall during the war was? The funniest? Yeah, can you think of any? You told me the scariest, that was Alamein, wasn't it? Yeah. That was, uh... I'll, t I'll tell you one thing. We, we, had to, we had to come out, we were ordered to come out on parade. Right. Dress nothing. Naked, you know. Right. And the MO come around. Right. And we had to line up like yeah. that. So he, ins he was going along inspecting, you know, and uh, yeah. lifting your testicles up with a, you know, so, like with a lolly, lolly stick or something. Uh, <laughs> and uh, all the ones, the bloke, he, he came to the bloke next to me. It was Gus Parks, Gus Parks, right? And he, he, he jammed up like that. So all I want to get this man say, remove that. So I looked and he had, there was a, a tick buried under his skin on the, near his armpit. So I managed to uh, get this little tick like, you know, right. and flung it away. And this MO come bouncing back, he said, what, what did you do with the tick? I said, throwing it away. Find the bloody thing, he said, and kill it, you know. Oh God. So I was crawling around on the uh, doing, and it, what went through in my mind was it? 
How did the hell can I find a tick among this lot, you know, 180,000 square mile of desert sort of thing, you know. And anyhow, in the end, I pretended uh, I'd found it and I banged it with a stone, you know. I never found a bloody tick, you know. So. But yet you found three more under your armpit later from, from routing around in the grass. Well, it's funny, yeah. Each, each man had to, he inspected, you know, different parts of your body under your arm and uh, yeah. then you had to reverse and you know inspect your harness sort yeah. of thing didn't yeah. it? <laughs> no secrets in the army yeah. eh? I, I told you about the time we got a bath didn't I? Um, I can't remember. Tell me again. Was this when, when, you when we managed it? to catch a, a canvas bath and we, we took it in turn to yeah. uh, we drew lots, you know, yeah, uh, to go in this canvas bath. You to know. see who went first. Uh, whoever went first, you know, uh, had the benefit of clean water. Yeah. But uh, each of the other ones following, you know, and um, by the time it got to the last one, it was a, a mixture of sand and cement and camel shit if you like, you know. <laughs> or worse. Well, but, well, actually, so, you probably uh, can't get much the, worse. The ones at the latter end declined uh, yeah. declined the cleansing properties if you like. You know. How often How often did you manage to get a bath? Not so often. Not, yeah. Every few weeks if you were lucky. I, we must, must have gone through the whole of the African campaign. I, I don't think we got a bath more than two or three times, you know. I remember Dad uh, once telling me that when they, they were in uh, when they were in Egypt, um, they used to use the sea bags, dry them up, dry them in the sun somewhere, and when they were dry, they used to repackage them in the box and flog them to the natives. Oh, I. <laughs> I guess you used to do that as well. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll tell you that w one of the amusing things that happened. I'd, I'd been wound when I was wounded the first time in foot, and I was moved down to uh, 15 Scottish in Cairo. Right. So in the middle of Cairo, and when we we're getting better, we, were, we went out in twos and threes. Yeah. I remember. It, the, bu the buses or trams or whatever, I can't remember. Yeah. They were absolutely, they were hanging off the side, on top. And, and right. if, if you got on one of those, you you were lucky if you got off with, with all the possessions you got on with, you know. So, I can remember one bloke, he was hanging on to something and the bloody wristwatch disappeared off his wrist. <laughs> So they got off and he said, the most aggravating thing was, he said, they got off the tram and they were going out into Cairo and yeah. uh, the, the first corner, there's a bloke there with wristwatches all the way up. One of wristwatch, Johnny, you know. <laughs> he wasn't trying to sell him his own wristwatch, was it? <laughs> that would have been an insult, wouldn't it? <laughs> he just had oh, his, he just had his stolen, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Chat. Have you got? Have you got your? Um, did you bring your French medal, your Legion d'Honneur? Yeah, yeah. Let's have a look at that. Oh wow! So this is the medal that uh, the French government yeah. was awarding people who were in the Normandy campaign. So that's dear Mr. Shaw, I have the pleasure of informing you that the President of the Republic has appointed you to the rank of Chevalier in the Ordre National de la Légion d'Honneur. I offer you my warmest congratulations on this high honour in recognition of your acknowledged military engagement and your steadfast involvement in the liberation of France during the Second World War. As we contemplate this Europe of peace, we must never forget the heroes like you, who came from Britain and the Commonwealth to begin the liberation of Europe by liberating France. We owe our freedom and security to your dedication, because you are ready to risk your life. 
I'm happy to enclose your insignia of Chevalier de la Légion d'Honneur and once again extend to you my heartfelt congratulations. Yours sincerely, Sylvie Behrman. And that's from the Ambassador, Am Ambassador of France. Oh, Wolf, I can't help thinking that, uh, well, you must be proud of all your medals that you got. Yeah. But this kind of coming well, so late in 70 life. 70-odd years after the war. Eh? Yeah, amazing. It's amazing. I think it's rather touching that they yeah. decided to do this. It really is. And I went with Dad to the 50th anniversary of D-Day. It's a pity though, all the blokes who died, who, 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 who don't get that, you know. Like, yes, like your dad, a, It is a shame, isn't it? I know. I mean, your dad should yeah, have one of those. I know. But I guess uh, it would have been too much of a, an effort, wouldn't it, to have awarded them all posthumously. But I did go to France with Dad in 1994. That was the 50th anniversary celebrations of D-Day. And... Um, the French people were so nice. They were so yeah. friendly uh, and so appreciative, really, yeah, yeah. Of, of what all the soldiers had done. And so it, are the Dutch people, yeah. The Dutch as well, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. But that really was a wonderful day. I'll never forget it. The atmosphere was extraordinary. And what a fabulous-looking medal this is. It's got a beautiful red ribbon. With um. a, um, it's insignia on both sides, you know, both sides. Oh, wow, yes. French Republic on one side and... and you can't wear it in line with your uh, British medals, do you? Can you not, not at no. the same time? You have to you have to wear it on the, on the other side. I've heard people say you can wear it underneath, oh, but okay. I don't think you can. Yeah. Well, it's a beautiful medal. Well, like I say, how, how touching after 70-odd years at... Uh, Someone thought fitting to to take the pick to um, issue them. How did the war end for you on the day that? Did, Sorry, where were you? Where, where were you when the war ended? Were you still in uh, Holland and Germany, uh, or were you in? When the war ended. Yeah, or were you back in? UK? I think I was in Ireland. Yeah, the fifty. Warren, po Warren Point in Ireland. Right. Presumably that was a, a relatively quiet. That was a, a fairly quiet piece of duty, was it? Yeah. Because the war wasn't going and, uh, on there. And yeah. then they, they brought me back from Ireland. I went, I met up with Freddie Zilkin again and they were on at Pickering in Yorkshire. And we were on a switchboard, Fred, me, yeah. chap called Daggerall. Uh, what was his nickname? Daggerall, bloke called Wood. Right. And George Busby, right. uh, five of us, yeah. And we did shifts on the uh, switchboard at Pickering. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Yeah. That was hard work then, compared with what you'd been used to. Yeah. Of course, you you were one of the first people in in the world, possibly ever, to, one of the first to use a a latter day mobile phone, aren't you? Am I right? Oh. <laughs> Ah, yeah. what do you mean, the 18 set? Yes, yeah. Ah, yeah. I, I said to a lad, I think I've written about it somewhere, I said to a young lad, I said, uh, would it surprise you to know that I had a mobile phone back in 1940, like, you know. Yeah. He said, oh, I don't can't believe, believe that. <laughs> he, he said, he said yeah. what was it like? I said, well, it was about that big, you know, about that. And it, Strapped it on your back, you know. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know one of the funniest, funniest scenes I came across in uh, your writings was where you, I think it was Wadi accurate you, you were escaping the the shelling. I was with Ginger Wright, uh, and uh, <laughs> this bloody, the the. They were like moving across a gap a few at a time, you know, because it was under observation. Right. And every now and again, the shell used to come down, you know. And sure enough, when Ginger and me were there, we heard the screaming of the shell. We dived in this nearest slit sense, you know. Yeah, yeah. And the Italians had used this as a toilet, so. <laughs> 
So did you did you end up all soiled, or did you manage to steer clear of the worst of it? Um, <laughs> the engineers, you know, they, they they used to do the toilet when we were static. Yeah. Like at uh, up at Gazala, we were static for a long time. But the engineers dug great big slots in the ground. About they had to be well away from where you were situated. You know. Yeah. And then they put a box over the top, yeah. a wooden box yeah. over the top, and then a flap. And it was the, the, the hinges for, for the flap to come down with the parts of old rubber tyres. Oh, okay, yeah, yes. And yeah. they were pretty strong, like, you know, and you, 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 it, it took quite an effort to, to lift these up, like, and, yeah. When you let go of it, we went down, bang, you know. <laughs> but I can remember the uh, the bottom of these doings one. It was crawling with uh, scarabs, shit beetles. We used to call oh, them yeah, shit yeah. beetles, and they flew about at night, you know. And uh, you get banged in the side of the head, and it was these shit beetles, you know. Oh. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but they used to lay their eggs in uh, excretion, you know. Yeah, yeah. Oh, how horrible. I know, Dad, uh, talking about these, um, well, the Wadiakarate and the Italians, Dad said when they checked through the caves on the mountainside for, you know, stragglers, uh, prisoners, um, there were signs of female company. And they can smell the perfume, and, and uh, so they're obviously the soldiers have had well prostitutes in, in the caves to keep them company between battles. Uh, I was telling them, I was telling them people in the communal lounge. You know, I said, during the war, I said, you know, uh, they gave us some stuff to keep your nature down, you know. Oh yes. Stop you getting an erection. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I don't I don't know what it was. Some people said it was lime water or something like that. Was it bromide? I said I'll tell you what. I think mine's beginning to work. (laughs) Well, so long as you only think it's beginning to work, there's some hope for you yet, Will. I tell another thing. I tell them quite often. Uh, I say uh, I really missed out on my life's ambition. You know. Right. So you know. So what was that? I wanted to be shot with a jealous husband when I was ninety. Shot with a jealous husband when I was ninety. And sadly, that didn't happen. Looking at today's world, was it all worth it that, Aye, that you went good, through? A good question. It's something I ask myself many times when I see, you know, some of the things that go on today. Yeah. yeah. It makes you think that what what you went and blokes mm. died for and were prepared to lay their life down for. You'd, you'd have thought we'd, we'd have made some kind of progression, but uh, they're still fighting. You, you just strife. have to ask yourself, you know, was it all worthwhile? Yeah. You can't help. You can't help but uh, share the feelings of a lot of people who say it, well, it wasn't. You know, it wasn't. Yeah. It was never worthwhile. You know. I guess um, to me. Not, not being directly involved in this, obviously, but I'm sure we've got a better world than we would have had had we not won the war. You think so? Well, would have been, would have had the Nazis in charge of us, wouldn't uh, we? Um, the worst had come to the worst, that is. I tell you a question. My Michael, my son, asked me. He said to me last time. He said, "Can you tell me something today that's better than it was 50 years ago?" funny 
just had a little message pop up on my phone as almost an answer to that, which is just sort of recognising the fact that we've got the internet now and we didn't used <laughs> to have the internet. But we'll, we'll discard that thought. Um, yeah, that's a good question, isn't it? What, what is it today that's better than it was 50 years ago? What foods do you recall eating most in the army. often? Yeah, in the army. I remember we got these tins of uh, bacon that were sent, you know, sealed in, in tins with the great lumps of bacon and then bully beef, of course. And what do you tend to eat? Do you have? We, we got so much bloody bully beef, bully beef for everything. Yeah. Do you eat it? Used to try and disguise it with <laughs> bully beef buttered, bully beef stew. <laughs> oh dear! Do you eat bully beef now? Is that is it corned beef really? Is that, <laughs> I remember. Oh, we ginger rights. Where was it? I forget where we were, I think we were up in Tunisia. And we're eating out of a mess tin, and all at once, Ginger pulls this out of his mess tin, and it was, it was a bloody centipede, you know. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. that's, that's, not, that's quite good, really, because if everybody wanted a leg, there'd plenty, <laughs> plenty to go around. Ah. <laughs> oh, disgusting. I think Dad said, uh, I remember Dad saying when he first went to Kasassin camp, because you were there, weren't you? Oh, uh, he was complained, uh, he complained about the food. He said the first several days the food was just disgusting uh, and he couldn't eat anything and he lost half a stone and then thankfully it, it improved and after that it was, things were okay. But I remember Kasassin, we were in tents the dining hall everybody had to make their way to the dining hall you know which yeah. is oh it, it could have been a hundred yards away perhaps more yeah. but that's where every everybody had to go from the surrounding tents you know but, so, we went to this place we, we messed in you know and you wanted to bring it all back to your tent and eat it at home uh, back in your tent you ah know. right yes so we're coming back this day with the uh, the messing, you know, probably a, a fish cake or something else in there. Yes. And uh, we're coming back, and there's some, some more blokes coming to it. Where's the dining hall, you know? Yeah. So one one of the blokes near me said, he said, it's the, and as the eldest do it out like that, a bit shy talk come down and pin, pinch the uh, <laughs> fish cake out of his like a seagull would today. Threw it up in the air, caught it and did a victory roll. You, know. <laughs> <laughs> you could have done with an 88mm to shoot it down. Oh, dear me. So did you go hungry then, or did you all give him a little bit of yours? Would you have shared it? Well, I think we must have done, yeah. yeah. Oh, you didn't get a lot to eat, really. Well, Wilf, I think um, I'm nearly at the end of my thoughts on things we could talk about so I, I think we'll probably draw to a conclusion now but I'd just like to end by saying thank you for the time you spent with me it's been a real pleasure and I'll also thank you on behalf of the rest of the the rest of the world for all, <laughs> for all your efforts well, I was no hero I was no hero I can tell you that thank you for uh, Having the patience to listen to me. You know. Oh, so that was that wasn't that was easy. That was easy. But no, going on the hero thing. I think anybody and everybody who is prepared to go to they were all heroes, whether they fought or not. Uh, the fact that they were prepared to fight, the fact that they were prepared to walk over a battle uh, or an open plane. The real heroes gave the life, didn't they? I suppose they did, didn't they? I suppose. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But um, I, I must have been a bloody escapologist. You must, you must. Yeah. And there must have been an art to keeping your head down at the same time as doing your job properly. Um, I'm sure there were ways and means to uh, be foolish. I, I remember a dad at one point in the Battle of Adiakaris, his, 
his officer, uh, Lance Corporal Coughlin. He'd only been introduced to him a few weeks, I think, and they were in the in the hillsides at Wadi Akarit, and they were overlooked from further up the hill by some Italians, and they were supposed to be keeping their heads down. And all of a sudden, Lance Corporal Coughlin, Coughlin stood up to see what was going on, and he was shot dead by a sniper, mm-hmm. and he fell dead right next to Dad. And, and he shouldn't have done that. He should have called for cover while he observed, I guess, and then he'd have been safe and possibly mm. still alive. I'll yeah. tell you something that's happened. It probably isn't worth repeating it any doing it. Um, All right, yeah. uh, uh, I'm, uh, I'm still afraid of the long arm of the army, you see. So, um, oh, okay. Yeah, I'll yeah. tell you something that's happened. Yeah. We stood two one night at Gazala. And I'm stood in a trench with Peter McKenna. And we used to stand for an hour at stand two at night, you know, right. certain times, stand two. Yeah. And my me, uh, rifle, and uh, I was doing a pretend, doing, you know, a- aiming, yeah. supposing that were. Just uh, lining your gun up. I, yeah. I was trying the, what do you call the, uh, first and second pressure on the trigger. Right. Anyway, I'm pointing this at the latrines, you know. <laughs> right. And all at once, I must have pulled the trigger <laughs> too bloody hard. <laughs> and the, and I, I fired me. I, I fired. I fired a shot off, you know. Right. And there was bloody panic. Panic. And uh, Sergeant come and said, "Did you hear a shot?" <laughs> And I said, yeah. He said, well, what? I said, over there. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the funny part was, all he had to do was pick up, pick, take my rifle off me and feel at it. And he, and he'd, have, he'd have known yeah, the heat. Because yeah, the, the yeah, barrel was still yeah. warm. You know. Maybe he uh, gave you the benefit So I remember he yeah. booed off and Peter McKenna said, yeah. he said, well, you're a bloody stupid sod show, you know. <laughs> Yeah, I thought you were going to say you shot somebody so in the backside. I, I hesitate to tell that to anybody. But, but I'll tell you what, the next time I went to the latrines, it, uh, it proved the accuracy of my uh, doings. There was a bu- actually bullet hole right through <laughs> the latrines. <laughs> oh, God. Well, if you're struggling to find the, the most humorous story during your war, Wolf, I, just, I think you just found it. <laughs> Well, I think on that note, we'll we'll call it a day, Wilf. Aye, okay. That's all right. And uh, once again, thank you very much. I don't expect to live all that long, so. Uh... Well, in that sense, it was a very timely meeting. Then <laughs> <laughs> I hope you get home all right. Yeah. <laughs> I always tell, like I tell people, I'm bloody trespassing. I should have gone twenty years ago, you know. Yeah. Well, you never know. The, the way you are now, it seems to me, you, you could easily hit a hundred. It don't bother me, really. Yeah. No, you've had good, good innings, I guess, haven't you? And, uh, I'm not afraid of dying. I, I must admit, uh, I, don't, I, don't fancy the, I don't fancy the experience of suffering a bit, you know, and being in hospital with people running around, you know, yeah. and one thing. I'd just as soon keel over and then. Yeah. Mum always says that. She said she'd just like to go off at night, like in her sleep. That yeah. would be the perfect outcome. Be the perfect yeah. end, that is. Uh, just keel over, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I still won the lottery, you know. You still do it? I, yeah. My, like, Michael, he says. Well, you know, 96 year old, he said, going on. He said, Well, what the bloody hell would you do with it if you won it? <laughs> I said, Well, that's easy, I'd give it away. I think you should go on a five year cruise. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'd give it away. Would you? Yeah, uh, yeah. I know so many deserving people, you know, yeah. people who really had it really bloody hard in life, you know. Uh, and I'd, I'd just like to be the one who. Uh, turns around the life, you know. Well, you can certainly make a big difference with some of these Uh, prizes.
keeps it going, can't you? Thank you so much, Wilf, for all that really fascinating stuff. And long may you keep trespassing. And I hope everyone listening enjoyed that as much as I did. People can read more about Dad and Wilf's wars at the website, fightingthroughpodcast.co.uk. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave me some feedback in the listening app of your choice. Thank you very much. The next episode, 5, offers you a privileged opportunity to hear 96-year-old Flight Sergeant Claude Reynolds' World War II memoirs. Sometimes frightening, often fascinating and frequently funny. Claude had the unenviable role of being a rear gunner in a Lancaster during the Second World War and flew many sorties all over Europe. And he experienced no end of scary moments during his time as a member of 49 Squadron in the much regaled Number 5 Group Bomber Command. So he's got plenty of stories to tell. Here's a very short preview. Both engines cut out. And we, we crash landed. Really? Yeah, we crash landed in the field. How did we get through that lot, you know? Because that was just one mass of, of, of anti-aircraft shells bursting all everywhere. Ice was cracking off the wing. You'd hear the old ice cracking off the wings. Oh, gosh. oh yeah, VE night. Yeah. God, hell, yeah. Is that a night to that, remember? Oh, was that? For now, I'm Paul Cheel saying bye-bye now.